Good morning again, everybody. If you have your Bible, I would love it if you would open up to Acts 9. If you are a Bible person or if you're a device person, still Acts 9, just in case you're wondering. Still Acts 9. So we're, we are so far into this series. As a matter of fact, this is the final installment into this series. And what we've said throughout this whole series is that saved people are sent people. We said there are certain things that that identify someone who's a follower of Jesus, the characteristics of their life that save people or sent people. That instantly when people in the early church, they received Jesus Christ as their their Lord and Savior, they were sent on a mission. They didn't didn't get into some holy huddles and they didn't uh, just go live their life for themselves and just sit there and wait for their perfect song to be sung. Instead, what they did was they realized that they had been set free from their sin and shame. And they couldn't wait to tell someone else. They couldn't wait to tell someone else. So saved people are sent people. We've also said this, that the church are saved people and sent people. And where everyone is a someone and everyone's invited. Amen? Isn't that a great picture? Where everyone's invited. Meaning everybody's invited into the table. Doesn't matter your story. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. God, God accepts us right where we are. He doesn't want us to stay there, but he takes us from there into who he wants us to be. Well, I was thinking about this particular talk and this passage that we're going to get into, starting in verse 32. Of course, it being Mother, Mother's Day and, and honoring mothers, I've been thinking a lot about my mother. And I was thinking about my mother. Really, this is the whole season where I, I think about my, my mother because I lost my mother three years ago. And it's within the season that, that the her birthday and the day that she passed away, and then also Mother's Day is also one season. So I just really, in, these, in this whole season of every year, I just really soak and I think about my mom. And I was thinking about my mom, and my mom had a reputation for serving people. She really did. My mom, if I were to categorize my mom into a couple positive things, I mean, everybody has like a negative list of things, right? No one's perfect. Anyone say amen to that? Don't, don't elbow the person you're sitting with, right? Don't verify their story. Like, nobody's perfect. My mom wasn't, and I'm not, and, and you're not. But some things I, I, when I think about my mom, and my mom's name is Vicky, I think about my mom, and I hear that name, I think of how compassionate she was. She was a, a CNA, a certified nurse's assistant, which means that, if, you, uh, if you're not familiar with that, she did everything else that everybody else didn't want to do. That's what she had to do. And she was always serving. As a matter of fact, I firmly believe that she was at her best when she was serving the most. So she particularly had a a field that she dug into in the later part of of her career, and she would care for just the elderly folks. And she had such a soft spot for them. So she was compassionate. Also, my mom had a beautiful smile. So she had the type of smile where if you would see her smile, you just want to smile. You know, it's like a smile is magnetic. So I think about my mom, and when I hear that the name Vicky, or I think of my mom, and this time of year, I think of, of compassion, and I also think of a smile. See, to me, that's, those are two of the things that I believe I will carry with me as being my mom's reputation. She was a lot more than that, but those are two things that I think of when it comes to my mom. Even us as a church, I mean, we have a reputation. Every church has a reputation. It's my hope is, and I don't know, I mean, maybe some of you could verify this. I mean, I'm looking at some of you for the very first time, and maybe the reason why you're here is because the church has a positive, this church particular has a positive reputation of serving the community well, and just loving Jesus well and loving people well. I hope that's our story. 
But every church has a reputation, and every church has a reputation. It's either, it, it is either a place of healing or it becomes a place of hurt. My hope is that we are a place of healing, that being like Jesus more and more and more, certainly not perfect, but being more and more like Jesus so that, that our lives would be like what he says it should be about, um, about people being people of the kingdom of God. That's my hope. And we have a, a, a reputation as a church. And then I thought about this. I was thinking, well, your, your mom, it's Mother's Day. And I was wondering if it'd be beneficial for you. And hopefully on your way in, you received a worship guide. It's a half a sheet of cardstock and some the trending logos on it. And I just thought this would be valuable for you. Maybe for you, you need to write down a couple of positive characteristics about your own mom. That would be some of her reputation that she rubbed off on you by her life. And maybe you write those things on, on that worship guide and then go talk to her if it's possible for you. Go talk to her and just say, I want to thank you for modeling this and this. Just be specific. It doesn't have to be, you know, a book, a novel, whatever. Just those two. Thank you for modeling this and this. And maybe for you, you your situation is like mine where you say, well, I would love to be able to have five more minutes with my mom. And maybe this day is a, is a day of reminder of hurt for you, kind of like it is for me. But what you can do instead is you can still take the, the, the worship guide and still write down those attributes. But instead of being able to speak to her, maybe you just go to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for putting my mom in my life who's shown me these qualities. And that way we capture this moment and it doesn't just become a hallmark moment. It doesn't just become something we put on our calendar, but it has a meaning and a purpose. And that we show that our mother's reputation is rubbed off on us in a positive way. My hope is that you would have some positive things to say about your mom, like I do about mine. Now, also, when it goes into this, I want to get into where we are personally, but I want to just ask you a couple questions because everybody has a reputation, and I have some names just kind of randomly picked from my mind, some names of people who I think have reputations for doing some things or being some things. So I want you, this is crowd participation time, you're all looking serious right now, we need to loosen up a little bit. I need you to look to the person next to you and say, loosen up, loosen up. Say it again, they didn't hear it the first time. Loosen up. All right. So here's, here's your part, right? This is crowd participation part. You get to talk in church. This is a really big day for you. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to just throw out some names, and I want you to tell me some things about their reputation, right? Randomly picked from my mind. Nothing scary, although there might be some scary things in there, right? So here's the first, the first name. You need to say something back in response. Don't be like the 915. You can do so much better than them. So much better. They were like stuck on one word over and over and over. I was like, seriously, it, I'm going to be a failure if you don't help me. So here we go. When you hear Joanna Gaines, what comes to mind? There you go. Shiplap. I never even knew what shiplap was until Fixer Upper. Like, I really didn't. Um, all right. So that, that's, we're off to a strong start. So much better than 915. Michael Jordan. Basketball. Yeah, I think of greatest of all time. Yeah, I heard goat. It's either that or you're a farmer. I'm not really sure. So when you hear the name Rachel Ray, ladies. There you go, pots, pans, cooking, food. I'm getting hungry. Are you done talking yet? You know, it's like that's what you're thinking right now. Like, move on already. Does everything have to be around food? Yeah, 
All right, so here's another one, not about food. K. Arthur. K. Arthur, anyone? Inductive, but thank you. That's part of her reputation. That's part of her legacy. Now, the last one. Um, I, I just, I really want to know where you are on this one. Because I, I just got to really survey the crowd. Kanye West. Just kidding. Don't give me an opinion. Don't give me an opinion. Yeah. So, what you just told me was, I just threw out a name, and they automatically had a reputation for either being something or doing something. You and I have reputations as well. In the same way, you and I, and we all have a reputation for either being someone or for doing something. We already do. Like, we can, we can like, clean up on aisle nine of our life, but we all, right now, have a reputation for being someone or doing something. You already do. Like, where you sit, you already do. I'm just going to ask this. I mean, this is kind of fun, but it's also very personal, kind of stepping on your toes just for a minute. But I just want to ask you the question, what would people say about you? I mean, if we're honest, if we're honest, here, here's the thing, here's the thing. You can't control what people say, but you can control if it's true. You can't control what they say, but you can control if it's true. Like, what would people say about you? What would your coworker say about you? What would your reputation be in the workplace? What would they say? What would your reputation be within your family? How many people in your family have you hurt, and then that has affected your reputation, and now you're considered untrustworthy? That's your reputation based off what you've done. What would they say about it? You can't control if, it, if it's like what people say, but you can certainly control if it's true. So what would people say? What would, what would the, the people in your workplace who know you're a follower of Jesus and they know you go to church and you talk about your church friends, you talk about community group, you talk about your area of service, but what would they say? What would the unsaved people at your workplace say about you knowing that you go to church and you've never shared your faith with them? What would they say? Mm, that's the uncomfortable spot, right? You can't control what people say, but you can control if it's true. You see, we all have a reputation for being something or doing something. I want us to have a reputation like the lady we're going to mention in the scriptures. Her reputation is so favorable that she herself doesn't even have to say anything to defend herself. She, as a matter of fact, we're going to see in this passage she can't. But instead, we're going to see that other people advocate for her because her life has positively rubbed off on this other group of people, and now they're advocating for her in an amazing way. So what would people say about you? The bottom line for this talk is this. By serving others, you glorify God. The world becomes a better place. We all want the world to become a better place. And you become the best version of yourself. You become the best version of yourself. As a matter of fact, the, there's evidence of this we're going to get to in just a couple moments. There's evidence of what actually happens within your body when you decide to serve someone. Not even spiritually speaking, just things that God has already put in every human being. When we step up to serve, we are changed. We become the best version of ourselves. So let's go into our main passage, Acts 9, starting in verse 32. We're going to break this reading up into two parts. The first part has to do with one gentleman by the name of Aeneas. It's a, it's a neat name with a lot of vowels. Um, and then it is. Uh, then the second part is a lady by the name of Tabitha, or also Dorcas. The, the name is used interchangeably right here in this passage. One is a Greek name, one is a Hebrew name. 
I may go back and forth too. I did during the 915. We'll just have to wait and see, right? You with me? If you're with me, say go. Perfect. Let's go. 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, I love that word, immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So in the middle of this story, we see the first guy with a lot of vows in his name, Aeneas. We know that he was a paralytic and he was bedridden for at least eight years. And we see that eight years and there's different ways that that's explained. Now, I'll let people smarter than me try and explain all that away. So I just take the simple reading of that passage. So Aeneas, his story is such that, his, by, by the way, his name means praiseworthy. So now he's in a situation that he's been in for eight years. And Peter just walks up to him and he says, get up. Peter, by the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, had the ability to, whether by his faith or the individual's faith, I'm not really sure, really cool stuff that happened in the early church, lives were just dramatically changed. I mean, miracles done over and over and over. Miracles weren't done just so that would bring attention to Peter. Miracles were done to bring attention and affection to Jesus Christ. So understand that. This wasn't like he had some supernatural gift to say, hey, look at me, look at me, I can do these things. Every time that God would heal, like Aeneas, every time that God would heal in that situation, it was to leverage for the greater value of the gospel. Because in that, God was glorified and then he was building up the kingdom of God. That's what this, really, this whole series has been about, is, is just teaching us developmentally. What does a person's character look like when they're building up the kingdom of God, living for the glory of God? What does it look like? So you see, Aeneas, incredible, incredible story. Peter walks up to him. He says, get up. His name being praiseworthy. I just wonder, this is where my mind goes when I look at the scriptures. I'm like, I wonder if somewhere in that eight-year journey that Aeneas just gave up. Certainly had heard about the potential of miracles. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit had done some amazing things by this time, and like years had passed since the resurrection of Jesus. And now he had to have heard those things, but I just wonder in that eight-year span if he just ever gave up and he says, you know what, the miracle's just not for me. The miracle's for someone else. This is my story now. I, my mat is my story. This is, this is what I have. This is my possession. These are my belongings. This is my story. This is my hope. This is my defeat. And I just lay, I'm laid out and accepting it. I, I just wonder that. And I also wonder if some of you have come into this place and you have the same mindset when it comes to God. Where you don't, you don't believe anymore in the supernatural acts of God. And you started to just believe in defeat, like God can move in other people, and I believe that God can move, but he's just not going to move in me because of the list of things that you know that you've done wrong. And you started to believe defeat. And maybe what the scriptures reveal to us, and maybe what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to tell you right now, is get up, take up your mat, dust yourself off, and move on. Because Aeneas, he could have had the miracle performed to him. He could have the ability to walk again. He could have the ability to have a whole new story. But he first had to get up. 
So it wasn't just the fact that God did it through Peter. Amazing miracle. He also had to get up because when he got up, it verified God's story. Some of you need to get up. You've been promised a miracle. God has done some amazing things in your life, and you've stopped. You've stopped believing that God is the God of the miraculous. And you're starting to believe that, that your power is all there is. But what if you're doing it wrong? What if you're doing it wrong? What if the rest of your life could be affected negatively by you believing that your story is just one of defeat? Maybe for you, God's word for you this morning is get up. Start living in the promises that God's delivered. Get the help that you need. Don't give up. Don't give up. Change is possible. We started this whole series off and talking about just the the glory and the the resurrection power of Jesus. And I also painted a picture throughout this whole series and saying the same resurrection power that, that brought Jesus back to life is the same power that then is extended to the early church in Acts 1.8. It's the same power that is available and it's still the same power that was available through Peter now to, to bring about this miraculous healing of Aeneas. And now I want you to know it's the same power that's available today. God is, is not, has never exhausted his power and ability. Newsflash, that's not possible. God has infinite power and he's not limited to you. It's not limited to you. So his story could be our story, Aeneas' story. We could be waiting for somebody like me to say, get up, take up your mat. What I love about the take up your mat part is just, it's the idea of, you know what? You don't need that anymore. You don't need that anymore. I really wish the scriptures would say, now chunk it, but it never said that. Like, I look for it, it's not there. But I, would lo- I love that because it's literally not just get up, it's also, you know, it, it's, you're not gonna need this anymore. You're not gonna need this anymore. You're gonna be changed from here on out. Let's go to the verse 36. We're gonna see something in the life of Tabitha that is incredible. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. These words, um, the name is used interchangeably, although they mean different things. And it says this is Dorcas, who was always doing good. There's her reputation and helping the poor, also her reputation. About that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once, exclamation point. Peter went with them, and when he had arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented to her or presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. There it is. The miracle was performed 
to build up the kingdom of God. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Part of this, this passage of Scripture is actually a transitional part of the Scriptures. And it, this is a natural break, really, in, in the storyline of the early church. And from here on out, we see how the gospel is just sent out into the Gentiles, where previous to this, the, most of the influence and most of the evangelistic work was done to the Jews. But here's a natural transition. And that's when he says this in verse 43. He's also making a transition what's going to happen next. But I want to draw your attention to verse 39. It says that all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. This is, when, when I look at this passage, what I believe is happening is this. That Dorcas is, she has died. And now all of the people that Dorcas had helped, all the people that, that, that she had helped, now they're advocating for her because that's her reputation. Now they're advocating for her. And now notice what they bring. They bring robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Say, no, 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 no. I think what's happening in this passage is now they have all these robes to say, hey, she's worth the miracle. She's worth it. This is her reputation. She's making a difference. She loves people. She's serving the poor. She's helping meet needs and she's doing good things. Look, here's proof. Here's proof. Could you do something? That's what I think is happening. So now her reputation, now people are advocating for her. That's what she was known for. But could you help her? She needs a miracle. She's dead, but I believe that that God can bring her back. She was busy doing good things and helping the poor. Wow. I mean, if, if there were going to be a couple things that would be said of me on the day that I'm, I'm laid out, I mean, those are pretty good qualities, right? Those are pretty good qualities. I was thinking about this also because she just had this servant's heart, apparently. That's what it, it points to the robes and the other clothing she had made while she was still with him, while she was still alive. So she just had a servant's heart. And I thought to myself, why is it that some of you don't serve? Now, full transparency, uh, our church beats every statistic of like people who serve in the church. I just want to give you props. I really do. Like statistically, if you look at these Christian publications, they give like one statistic. Well, the normal church has this, like the 80-20 rule. That is like not not even the case here at this church. We have an army of people who serve, right? But I was thinking about the people who don't serve. And I was just kind of going through my mind. I was thinking, why is it that some people don't serve? Some people are just too busy in their leisure. They're like me time. Is all the time. Or most of the time. Maybe some of us are too consumed with our failures. We think, you know what? God could never use me. Like, my story is so... So I'm so beaten up. and My story is so tattered and torn. There's no way that God could use me. And you're consumed with everything you've done wrong. Perhaps you're just too selfish with your time. Maybe you're too busy making a dollar instead of making a difference. Maybe you're too busy making a dollar instead of making a difference. Which is why the people who serve here at the church, we call them what, church? Tell me. Difference makers. Because everyone who serves someone else makes a difference. Everyone who serves. Whether it's in the 
the visible areas of service or the invisible areas of service, we're all making a difference for the kingdom of God. And when you serve, that's what happens. And I thought of this, you know what? Eventually, we're all going to be laid out. And there's going to be someone who is going to be speaking some words over our life. And most likely, when we're laid out, they're going to say nice things about us. They're going to say good things about us. When you live a life of service, you help them not to lie. Think about that. You help them not to lie. Because they're going to want to say like, oh, he was a really good... <laughs> Amen. You know, I mean, that's what... Like, we, we help them by, by living a life with a good reputation as somebody who is a citizen of the kingdom of God, living for the glory of God and serving other people and glorifying God in the whole process of the Christian life, what we do is we put good words in somebody's mouth who's going to be speaking over us on the day that we're laid out. And we help them not to lie because they're going to be reaching for positive things. And our life now shapes what they're going to say later. There was a, a woman... In the scriptures, she went to Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. She went to Jesus and she said, uh, she was advocating for her two sons. And she said, hey, um, is there any way, like, is there any way that my two sons, by the way, they they were adults? Sidebar right here. Moms, don't be the mouthpiece for your adult men, okay, for like your, your adult kids. Don't be the mouthpiece for them. And also, men, don't allow your mom to be the mouthpiece for you. Be a man. Say what needs to be said. We're back on track. Now, in this, in this gospel, an uh, interesting thing happens. The, the mother goes up to Jesus, and she's, con- she's concerned about her, her sons, and she says, hey, is there any way that my sons could be like one at your right and then one at your left? Like, is there any way you could like prop them up? Like, doesn't necessarily need to be on your level, but close is cool, you know? Like, could they be there? And Jesus says something in Matthew 20, and I want to put it on the screen for you because I want you to see it for yourself. Matthew 20, but Jesus called them together. So they're having this, that's great. You ought to read this all for yourself. They're like, she's having this dialogue with Jesus. And then Jesus is like, yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, but everybody needs to hear it. Then he brings everybody together. He's like, yeah, we're going to use this for a greater teaching point. This is an all-in moment. Back up one slide. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over the people. And others flaunt their authority over those under them. He says, so you just, you know that they're the rulers of this world. They just want to dominate people, to control people, to prop themselves up. He says, of course, like everybody, every civilization has an element of this. But, he says, transition. But among you, back up one more. But among you, it will be different. Now go forward. But among you, it will be different. Go forward, Brandon. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. He says, I know that's how everybody else does it, but not you. Not you. No, no, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, no, no, not you. Not you. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even, Jesus says, even the Son of Man. That's, that's one of the, the things he's known for. It's the Son of Man, when it's used in the Scriptures, is to show that Jesus' full humanity, while He was also fully God, he was, 
He, he could feel, and he had all the same burdens that we do, except he did not sin. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus just said about the kingdom of God, and if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you've committed your life to Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. What he just said was, that's not your story. Because your life needs to model Jesus' life. And what did Jesus say? For the Son of Man himself came not to be served, but to serve others. So you and I, when we serve others, we're becoming like Jesus. We're doing what Jesus did. This is one of the elements of spiritual formation when we serve, which is why to be spiritually formed more into the image of Jesus, we can't just read our Bible and pray and meditate. We also have to serve because it forms us to be like Jesus. That's what Jesus just said. So again, when we obey God and serve others, there's a healthy self-esteem that also comes after doing that kingdom work. There's a healthy self-esteem that comes after that kingdom work. For one, there's a physical benefit. Harvard Medical School did a study, and they said that those who are actively serving other people have less heart issues. Literally, serving others helps your heart, heart health. Like, that's amazing. Also, uh, so that's a physical benefit. It literally will help your heart, and you have less risk for high blood pressure. Also, the emotional benefit is this. It activates something that everybody, ha- everybody has, this thing called oxytocin. And oxytocin itself is a hormone in your body that dampens negative emotions. We all have it. So oxytocin is released to dampen negative emotions, but at the same time, it releases dopamine, which then allows us to experience a reward when we do the right thing. It doesn't even matter if you're a follower of Jesus. There's there's an emotional benefit when you serve other people. That's just what God put in every human being. That these, these hormones are there, one to suppress negative emotions and one to make you feel that, that, just that release like, ah, I did it right. I'm doing what I ought to. And it's the reward for doing the good thing. Also, after the, the physical and emotional, there's a relational benefit. Statistics have been shown that those who serve others can handle conflict better. Those who serve others, they can handle conflict better. I mean, if you have conflict in your life, I I bet you can trace it down to you're not serving people well. And then lastly, the sociological benefit is this. It's kind of like the spiritual flu, really. Um, Contagious. Those who serve are contagious with other people, and then the other people want to serve. So there's a proven sociological benefit, too. So in all areas of your life spiritually being like Jesus and being formed to be like Jesus physically with the heart emotionally you're benefited when you serve relationally you're even benefited because people are drawn to you we were meant to serve we were meant to have a life like what we just read about Tabitha's life that's the life we were meant to live See, by serving others, you glorify God. The world becomes a better place, and you become the best version of you in every way possible. So I have two questions, and I'm going to bring 
this talk to a close. What if, this is, I mean, this is a big picture. Like this is a, whoo, imagine this. What if doing good and giving to the poor was your reputation? What if, what if doing good, so that would be service, that would be Tabitha, Dorcas in this text, like that was her reputation and people were willing to advocate for her and they brought the goods to Peter and saying, hey, she's worth the miracle. What if this was our reputation? What, what if this was your reputation? Or if they couldn't like, they didn't have a whole list of things that were positive attributes about you, but they would say, you know what? Man, they serve other people. They just seem to do good. It's like he's, he or she, it's just like whatever happens, they just find themselves doing good. Wow. Or what if it was, you know what, this person, they just give to the poor. You see, the, the amazing thing is about doing good or giving to the poor, I don't need to give you five different ways to do it. Because you have opportunities to do good and serve other people every day. Every day. As a matter of fact, I think I would, I would create a go-around if I gave you five things because I think the Holy Spirit is so much, so much wiser than I am and so much broader than I am in the way that it would be the Holy Spirit would cause you to apply what it means to be a person of service. Some of you are even in a, a you know, you're getting paid to serve. Like for me, all right? You may think, well, I'm a servant of the church. Maybe that's what you think my title is. We could have a discussion later. Some of you are maybe in a, in a community service kind of role and that's what you get paid to do. That's not the same thing because you're getting paid. I mean, I, I value your work, don't get me wrong. But if you're getting paid to do that, it's not the same as doing it willingly. Even I have to find ways to serve outside of you. I have to. Because I want that to be said about me. Man, he was just so busy doing good. That that would be my, my reputation in giving to the poor. But then even take that a little bit broader. Think, I think about us as a church. And I think, what if that became our reputation? What if that became our reputation? That we were just people who were doing good and serving others. And we were given to the poor. Not only would people have great things to say about us when we're laid out. But also people would have great things to say about us in our workplace now. And I believe if we were to take this message and we would say, you know what? I'm not just going to live my life for me. I'm going to live my life as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. I believe with my whole heart something would happen in our community if you took that seriously. I believe that there is so much brokenness in our community that would be mended if you took this seriously. I believe that there's so much family dysfunction in your home that if you took up the role of servant like Jesus, your family could be brought back together. And I believe that us as a church, we could pave the way. Not perfectly, but I believe we could pave the way and God could do something so much bigger than one person when we all take this mantle and say, you know what? I'm going to be a person who does good and who gives to the poor. And if we were to do it for the glory of God and for the sake of the world, everything around us would change. The divide would be healed. The marriages would be reconciled. The kids would come back home. 
and we glorify God in the process. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for loving us first. I thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that, that still puts it into the heart and mind of every follower of yours, the ability to change. God, that the Holy Spirit of God inspires us to take up our mat and to get up and to move forward. Father, I thank you that for all these people who came in here today, God, they, they've given you their time and attention, and I know that it was a value. God, I pray that on this Mother's Day that there would be some kind words that would be said, there would be some acts of service that would be done, and that you would be glorified in all things. And I pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.